Well, today I want to uh, welcome one of our guest teachers that you're very familiar with. Mary Ewing has taught with us many times, and she is one of my PM Heart to Heart leaders. Uh, and Mary and Hickman have been part of First Evan for many years. Uh, kids grew up here, and so we're excited to welcome Mary Ewing today as she teaches on El Elyon, God Most High. Let's give her a warm welcome today. Our lesson today is called Lean In to El Elyon. Now, there's a reason I chose this title. As I was starting to prepare, my husband read me this quote by Mark Twain. The difference between the right word and the almost right word is like the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. Now, I did not want to come in here today with any lightning bug word for you. So I pondered what it actually means for us to have a sovereign Lord. And it means that we can lean in. Lean in communicates that the Most High God on the throne has actually come close to us. It communicates that I have put my trust in Him and I've gotten close enough to actually put my weight on Him. I'm ready to go with Him and have His agenda. Lean in is putting shoe leather to our trust. Now, I'm gonna take you back to December. My oldest daughter lives in Nebraska. She's married to a pastor who preaches several services on Christmas Eve. She has four children, and I have two other children with children who don't live in Nebraska. So what I'm saying is that I don't often see my oldest daughter at Christmas. But this year, all six of my Nebraska family were coming the week before Christmas to spend six days with us. Now, I had some time in my schedule, and I had a stimulus check in my hand. So I set out to make this the visit. Now just think, Joanna Gaines, Martha Stewart, Pioneer Woman, roll them all into one. I had my recipes, I had my hot chocolate bar, I had my decorations, my husband and I even went to the Wolf River Trail and made a scavenger hunt. So three days before the visit, my daughter called to say that the 16-year-old had a COVID exposure and they were not coming. I got off the phone thinking, how can I process the reality of this visit? And the visit's not happening. And so I felt like there was this huge black boulder called disappointment. And it was gonna crash down and crush me and there was nothing I could do to stop it. And all of a sudden I said, wait a minute, I don't do this. I have a sovereign God who loves me and he doesn't allow disappointment in my life without a really good reason. He simply knows that this visit is not a good thing at this time. I may never know why, but I bow to his sovereignty and I choose to trust him. Now the disappointment was real, 
But the situation completely changed when I remembered that the Sovereign Lord was in control. I could accept that God had a different plan, and I was ready to lean in. Do I always have such victories? Oh, no. But I should, and I could. So how can we live in the light of the truth of God Most High? By leaning in. Let's look at four things that will happen when we do that. Lean in to El Elyon. Rest in his sovereign rule. I'm going to start with two definitions. We learned in our first lesson that El means first or Lord. It indicates God is a strong and mighty one. El Yan means high, to go up. It can also mean prominence in people. So when you put the two together, it translates the extremely exalted sovereign high God from which we take most high God or sovereign Lord. El Elyon is high over all. You can't get any higher. The search is over. Now, when we say he's sovereign Lord, what do we mean by that? The word sovereign means supreme ruler. God's sovereignty is the attribute by which he rules his entire creation. God has three other attributes that enable him to rule supreme. He is all-knowing. He knows everything, past, present, and future. He is all-powerful. With God, nothing is impossible. And he is absolutely free. He answers to no one, and no one can overrule him. Isaiah 46.10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Now, these three things, all-knowing, all-powerful, absolutely free, are enough to make God able to rule the world unhindered. But if God were only these three things, would I love him? Would I be able to trust him? Would I be able to rest in his rule? No. We must add the fact that he is absolutely good, completely loving, unchangeable. He's trustworthy. God never rules by whim. There's a design to the way God rules the world, and it has two basic components preservation, and providence. Now, preservation simply means that he maintains the existence of all that he has made. In him, all things consist. They're held together by the word of his power. Providence means foreseeing, and it talks about the, the, the way it's purposeful sovereignty. I want to read you a definition by Jerry Bridges. God's providence is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all his creation for his own glory 
and the good of his people. Now, look carefully at those two results of God's providence, his glory and our good. Before God allows anything to happen in the universe or in our lives, it has to pass those two tests. It must work for his glory and our good. This is a both and. God never sacrifices his glory for our good, and he never sacrifices our good for his glory. So when we think about providence, it doesn't take us very long to think, well, what about the evil in the world? God is not the author of evil. He could have prevented evil from entering the world, but he didn't. He can overrule it, he can control it, he can limit it, and use it for his good purposes. In Genesis 50, 20, Joseph's brothers threw him in a pit. They meant it for evil. But God overruled it and used it for good and saved many people alive. We know, we all love Romans 8, 28, the probably most favorite verse of the most people, God is able to work all things for his good according to his purposes. And let, let me quote that correctly. God is able to cause all things to work together for good to those who are the called in Christ Jesus. So in the book of Job, God limited what he allowed the devil to do to Job. If we say that God has no part in tragedy, that he was looking the other way when something bad happened, then we take God off the throne and we have a God who cannot control the events of the world. And we must not do that. If God is not sovereign over all, he's not sovereign at all. This truth is hard. Always present the sovereignty of God alongside the love and goodness of God. And be sure that God has told you that someone is ready to hear it. Well, if God already has everything planned and knows how everything will end, am I just a passive puppet? No, a Christian is never passive. God chose to involve us in his plan, and we need to be alert for what he wants us to do. Not only are we battling the enemy, but we're also looking for open hearts and open doors to proclaim the gospel. And no, we are not puppets. We have free will. Only a sovereign God could give us free will choices and still accomplish all of his foreordained purposes. God can restrain our free will. He did this with Abimelech when Abraham had placed Sarai in Abimelech's harem. He did not allow Abimelech to touch her. But God did not restrain David with Bathsheba. He allowed sin to take its course. A.W. Tozer has an example in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says that there is a cruise ship and it leaves New York City and it is headed 
for Liverpool, England. Now, on this cruise ship, you've got people on board and they're free to move about. They might play shuffleboard or, or eat the buffet or swim. But all the time, this cruise ship is going to get to Liverpool. Do you see that both free will and sovereignty are present in this example? So, here, 2021, nothing has slipped through God's fingers. Nothing has surprised him. Psalm 75, 6 and 7 tells us that God is sovereign over who rules nations. Job 42, 2 tells us that none of his purposes can be thwarted. David Frazier says, People say that the world is falling apart, but we know that God is in control of the world. The truth is that the world is falling into place on God's timetable. Everything in the Bible will happen. So we can lean in and rest in a sovereign rule. We can also lean in and rely on his constant care. The book of Daniel finds the Israelites exiled in captivity in the pagan, idol-worshiping nation of Babylon. Now add to that, this nation is ruled by a narcissistic king named Nebuchadnezzar. Now add to that, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been chosen from the best and brightest young men to be part of a three-year program to make them into pagans. They were offered the food, they were taught the language, read the literature of Babylon. Now, that looks pretty hopeless, but El Elyon was working. All the while that Nebuchadnezzar thought he was making them into pagans, El Elyon was sovereignly overruling and using his servants to make Nebuchadnezzar into a worshiper of the true God. If we have our eyes on the circumstances in our world today, our eyes are just in the wrong place and we will spiral down. We need to look up and remember that our sovereign God is working in spite of what we see. In Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are facing the fiery furnace. The king offers them a second chance to bow down to his golden image, and they didn't even flinch. Now, Daniel 3, 16 to 18, I, I was thinking today, if I could just tattoo this verse right there on, on my forearm. I love this verse so much. They said, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor we will we worship the gold image which you have set up. 
Now here's the secret of their trust. They knew they were not in the king's hands, they were in God's hands. It's the same trust that Jesus Christ showed when he said to Pilate, you would have no power over me except it had been given you from above. Jesus knew he was in the Father's hands, and so are we. When you came to Jesus Christ, he wrapped his hands lovingly about you, and you have never been out of his hands since that time. When you have surgery, when you drive your car on I-40 or step on an airplane, you're in his hands, and you are kept. You can't wiggle out. You can't fall out. You can't even be snatched out. And let me just say that God is so careful with what he allows to touch the lives of his children. Isaiah 54, 17 tells us that no weapon formed against us will, proper, will prosper. If God permits an injustice or malicious action against you, remember those two things. It's going to work for your good and God's glory. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually went into the fire, but Jesus was with them, and no harm came to them. God can deliver from adversity. God can deliver in the midst of adversity. Or God can deliver into eternity, and he makes no mistakes. So, God is ruling the world, God is caring for us, and he's bringing those two things together and interweaving them into the story that he's writing. So we can lean in to El Elyon and embrace his perfect story. In the city of Greenville, South Carolina, there's a Bible school called the Evangelical Institute. My husband and I were privileged to go there for several summers to hear the teaching of a young man named Dan Johnson. Dan was single, and he claimed that he was president of Bachelors Till the Rapture. However, when he was 40, he fell in love with one of his students, Amy Tecklenburg. She was about 20 years old, and Amy and Dan married, and they birthed 10 children. He continued to teach and pastor, and he was head of the missions department there at the Institute. And on January 31st, after a long battle with COVID, Dan was placed in the arms of Jesus Christ. The next morning, Amy sent out an email to thank the multitude of people all over the world who had prayed she said, God has overruled so many prayers for his healing. She quoted John 17, 24 from the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. This prayer of Jesus was realized in Dan's life. He was beholding the glory of Jesus. Then Amy 
ends her email with this amazing statement. I am content for God to have his way. He writes the story. Because God is all the tenses at once, it's perfectly correct to say he writes the story because we are living it out here in the present. It's also correct to say the story is written down to the last period, and he has not made a single mistake. Now, sometimes we think, if I were writing the story, I would have left that out, or I would have put that in. Well, that's why we aren't writing the story. We would leave out things that are designed to make us Christ-like and check our besetting sins. We would put in things that would weaken us and feed our flesh. El Elyon is the only one worthy to write the story. Nothing goes in that is not for your good and God's glory. Last week, I was having a FaceTime tea party with my four-year-old granddaughter, Lizzie, and she wanted to read me a story. Well, Lizzie can't read, so she makes up her stories, and all of Lizzie's stories in the same way. And they all lived happily ever after. Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, this is how your story ends. The prayer of Jesus in John 17, 24 will be completely realized when all believers will be with him where he is beholding his glory, and we will all live happily ever after. When we have come to lean in to the rest of his sovereign rule and to rely on his sovereign care and embrace the story he's writing, then we are able to do the thing that we were created for. We can live in worship and wonder. Lean into El Elyon and live in worship and wonder. I'm going back to King Nebuchadnezzar. He was taken up in wonder at Daniel's God, who was the revealer of secrets. He was taken up in wonder at the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the mighty deliverer. He frustrated the purposes of the king. But the king still worshipped himself. El Elyon was not yet his god. Well, El Elyon's purposes cannot be thwarted. And God did a necessary thing by making this mighty king live away from people until his hair grew and his nails grew and he ate grass, and it was insanity for him. And at the end of that time, God restored his sanity, and Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar became a worshiper who praised, honored, and glorified the Most High. Now, let me read you what he said. This is just like we're reading Nebuchadnezzar's journal. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, 
and glorify the King of Heaven because everything He does is right and all His ways are just. Those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar grasped God's sovereignty. Did you notice this? He is actually worshiping God for the trial that he went through because he knew that it was a necessary thing to humble him. God did not spare him the suffering necessary to break his pride. Nebuchadnezzar's story encourages me that no one is beyond God's grace. There is no one that God cannot humble and draw to himself. We're going to leave this lesson with this king here in this beautiful posture. He was once proud, but now his eyes are lifted to heaven in worship and wonder of our Most High God. So until that day when we all live happily ever after, lean in to El Elyon, rest in his rule, rely on his care, embrace his story, live in worship and wonder. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mighty sovereignty that is for our good and your glory. Lord, may we rest, may we rely on you, may we embrace our story that we may live in worship and wonder until we all live happily ever after. In Jesus' name, amen.